Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina radio podcast sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Buck, I'll start with you uh, the day after. Uh, the day after the Buck and Tommy show in Keenan Stadium. The day after Carolina picks up their first win of the season against the Pittsburgh team that did Pittsburgh things during that ball game. But your overall thought, I'm torn a little bit as far as should this be considered a good win. I I tend to doubt it, but any win for a team like Carolina that's been struggling certainly is a good thing for that team, that group of kids, to get a W under their belt. Well, you you just got through saying it, Tommy. Any win is a good win for this team. And it was something that they desperately needed, really. For several reasons. One is, uh, you know, after this game, they're looking at Miami, Virginia Tech, um, tough stretch of games ahead. If they hadn't have gotten this win, um, they could be staring at 0 and 5 or 0 and 6 right in the face. Uh, so to break up that uh, potential of a really long losing streak and, and to, you know, breathe some life into the program, I mean, uh, the whole program there from the outside looking in was on life support. You worry in a situation like that, that the coaching staff has, has lost the team and probably the big takeaway that, that not, we haven't talked about much is, is pretty evident from watching the game yesterday that the coaching staff has not lost the team. They're still playing hard. They're playing hard. Um, for the coaching staff and I suppose for themselves and for the school, but it's still, um, there's some togetherness there that uh, was probably underestimated, uh, on a lot of, in a lot of areas and including, um, you know, amongst inside Carolina people. So, you know, I, I think that's an important takeaway. I think it's really, um, something you can build on. I was, very pleased to see some of the things that Jason and I had heard about and you had heard about during the spring and fall um, come to fruition. You know, we, we saw Daz Newsom become a, a number two threat, which is big. You know, you, you need that number two threat um, in, in a passing attack. Uh, we saw Antonio Williams, you know, be a hundred yard rusher. Um, you know, we saw, uh, Michael Carter's return and and what the added dimension he makes to the offense. We saw some good things from the defense. I, I, there's still some some work there, obviously, to be done. But what they looked like yesterday is, I mean, the pros and the cons of what happened yesterday is very similar to the pros and cons we've seen in many UNC uh, games in previous years where they were decent offensively and not so decent defensively but that third quarter stretch was big for the defense I thought and and so you know all you can do is say wow you know that uh they look like 
what we're used to seeing rather than what we saw against Cal and what we saw against East Carolina, which is very refreshing in many ways. Jason, let's go ahead and get Nathan Elliott discussion out here. Um, I'll sort of echo Deems May a little bit in the post game. He said, I freely admit I was ready to shovel dirt on Nathan Elliott. Now, he didn't turn into Joe Montana on Saturday against Pittsburgh. And, you know, the numbers, we can talk about those. But what I saw from him is he looked like a completely different quarterback than in the first two games. I mean, it's different watching from the stands than it is on TV. But I, he just looked all out of sorts against Cal, all out of sorts and shaking against um, East East Carolina, maybe even a little bit nervous a lot at times, but against Pitt, I didn't see really any of that from him. Your thoughts there? Well, I, I too, like Deems, was pretty much uh, – actually, I think I'd already shoveled a few bits of dirt on on Elliott at, at quarterback, but here here's the thing that I, I'm still – I'm a little I'm a little hesitant to to declare that there's been real progress yet uh because what we saw was what Nathan Elliott has looked like against Pitt. So uh Lauren Brownlow posted an interesting stat split uh after that game where she said Nathan Elliott she noted she noted the splits different difference between Pitt and elsewhere Nathan Elliott versus Pitt played two games 67, almost 68% completion percentage, four touchdowns, no picks, 8.8 yards per attempt, just tearing it up. I mean, that's that's a stat line you'd expect from a top-level quarterback. And he looked really good in this game. But Nathan Elliott in seven games versus everyone else, 48.9% completion percentage, nine touchdowns, nine picks, 5.6 yards per attempt. So, like you said, major improvement. Looked like a completely different quarterback, but until I start, until I see that against someone other than Pitt, I'm still cons- I'm still I'm still not ready to uh, to to call off the eulogy just yet. Uh, but I will say that you know he impressed me. He looked like you said he looked like a different guy. Looked under control. Uh, the biggest thing to me was that he was in rhythm, making the easy throws that he just for whatever reason wasn't making against DCU. I mean, there were a lot of easy throws, just easy throws that he just missed against ECU, and he made those throws for the most part. There were there were somewhere, you know, I'm I'm thinking of like uh, Deami Brown's catch on a on a uh, on a route going toward the sideline where he had to reach back and one hand it and turn around. That ball should have been out in front. It should have been a much easier catch, and there were a few of those. But by and large, he hit the throws you, you that you just have to hit the easy throws. And if he just does that the rest of the year, the offense can can actually be pretty pretty decent. So so we'll see if it carries over to someone other than Pitt. But you know, I, I I'd like uh, I'd like you know maybe to see if uh, if if Carolina has someone in maybe the uh, optometry department or something who can put together some some contacts or something to make every other opposing jersey look like a Pitt jersey to him. <laughs> Fair point there, and it's sort of pumps the brakes on folks that have gotten uh, ahead of themselves. Carolina, of course, on the short week going to Miami. But one player you mentioned, and I think we can discuss him at nauseum, but uh, the addition of Michael Carter, to me, 
seem to make North Carolina's offense very different as well. Now, Antoine Williams, or Antoine, excuse me, Antonio Williams, he did what he said he was going to do. He's going to run angry and play well. But Michael Carter is just, you know, that, he just brings something to Carolina that none of the other guys have, and he provides that spark, and I think it really showed on Saturday. I agree with you, Tommy, and don't say that I don't ever agree with you because sometimes I do. <laughs> Um, we, we only talk when about, you're right, though, Tommy. Yeah, only when I'm right or obvious. <laughs> uh, you know, you you and I talked about this yesterday at the game that, uh, you know, we both like Jordan Brown, and, and Jordan Brown is a steady player, reliable player, somebody that's not going to make a lot of mistakes, is, is going to run hard, and is not afraid to run between the tackles. And catches uh, the ball receiver. really well. Cat catches the ball really well. And and we've seen what Antonio Williams can do. Uh, so both of those guys give give Bill Carolina a really good one two punch. But Michael Carter has, you know, I don't know exactly how to to, to describe it. Jason probably is uh the, the one to to ask about what descriptor to put on him, but he, he has that extra flash or it factor, I think, um, that maybe is not quite there with Jordan. And, you know, I think he definitely adds an element uh, to the North Carolina offense that will be missing uh, and has been missing uh, the first two games of the season. Good to see him back out there. Uh, good to see him uh, get on the scoring column with his catch and, yeah, I, Michael Carter is just, I think, a special player. He's not Antonio Williams and size-wise and all of that, but he, he's a, he's the kind of guy that can really add a dimension to an offense um, that you know could be missing. And it was good to see him back out there. And the the fact that they have some healthy uh, weapons at tailback in Carter and in Williams and in uh, Jordan Brown, I, I think that bodes well for them in a lot of contests that are, they're going to that have yet to be played in uh, 2018. Jason, I'm going to come to you next, but I want to first talk about Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. If you need a quick, easy lunch or a tailgate option for a football season, check out Jersey Mike's Subs of Chapel Hill. It's your place to go for a tasty and efficient dining solution. Our guys at Jersey Mike's Subs of Chapel Hill have partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal. For the IC Podcast listeners, right now use the code HEELS15 to get 15% off your order. It's online promotion only. You can use it for lunch, small group, or a big tailgating order. Now, it was a little early this past Saturday for Jersey Mike's, but come later in the season, jerseymikes.com front slash order. HEELS15, 15% off a tailgating option. And like I've said before, Buck Sanders and I will definitely be using it in the bowls lot here's how it works go to jerseymikes.com front slash order it shows the locations nearest you click the order pick your favorite sub at checkout enter heels 15 and get 15 percent off skip the line straight to the register grab your food get out of there you're on your way do it today there are three locations in chapel hill on elliott road off MLK right on I-40, and Falcon Bridge Shopping Center on 54 right off I-40, and the one in Hillsboro is off Exit 261, again off I-40. 
coming soon locations in Chatham County and in Durham and also in Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys this fall. No denying Jersey Mike subs are delicious. Take advantage of this deal and support the IC podcast. Now, Jason, talking about that, he's got a wiggle, but you got to have a running back that can defeat the opposing team's linebackers. And I think Michael Carter may be that guy. Now, it's going to be different when they go up against Miami. And even though Virginia Tech laid probably the biggest egg of the college football season against Old Dominion, you know, they're going to have uh, better guys back there. But you got to have that running back that can. Uh, can win those matchups on the wheel routes or on the seam routes against that middle linebacker or the opposing linebacker. I think Carter does that for North Carolina. The other guys may not. I think Williams may just soon run over you, but Carter gives that that ability, and I think that's uh, that sort of expands the playbook for Larry Fedora. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that, that has a bit more burst, I think, initial burst than either of the other two guys. Um, and you know a little bit more jump cut ability in the hole, like you said, he's gonna he's more likely to win that one on one matchup uh, at the second level than than some, than the other two, at least making a guy miss. But um, you know, I, I think I think just having a third back that's another look also helps. Uh, and again, he's been he's made some big plays over the past couple of years, so it doesn't hurt you to have another guy out there. Um, beyond that, I mean, I don't know that there's a whole lot more to be said. I mean, what really matters. Uh, to me, more than the running back position or having, you know, whatever back is it, it, you, you can put in the backfield is are you getting good game management and competent play from the quarterback position? Nothing's going to make the running backs look better than a quarterback that's actually completing the easy stuff. That's what it comes down to, what it comes down to for me. Buck, talk about the offensive line. I mean, they were a mess at times early in the season. They look better. And again, the schedule ramps up here in the next couple of weeks, but they had some success. Uh, I think Troll was out there to start with, and uh, he may have rolled one back to Elliott and McCargo got back out there. But just speak to those guys briefly about what you saw from them against Pittsburgh. Well, and, yeah, and, uh, and McCargo played some. Yeah, and Barnes, you know, we right. thought Barnes was out there. Barnes was not out there. That was Pritchett instead right. of William Barnes. Right. So that was interesting as well. Right. Yeah, um, and I, I'm glad you went there because that was going to be the the next. I wanted to to ask both of y'all the question about the offensive line because both Nathan Elliott and Antonio Williams in their post game interviews heap praise on the offensive line. Now I know to a certain extent. That's just what you do, you know. If if uh, if you're Nathan Elliott and you've just thrown three for three hundred yards and you've had a, a clean game, pretty much, um, maybe that's just what you do because you want those guys, you know, on your side. You want them working hard for you, and maybe that's the same thing with Antonio Williams. Is um, maybe it's is sort of a motivational thing, but. It's interesting to me to hear those guys talk about how well the offensive line played for them. And and one of them, 
uh, being the quarterback that that requires those guys to block for him clean in the in the pocket. Then the other guy, somebody that requires them to to make a few holes for him. So, is their opinion? I, I'd like to hear both of y'all's answers on this. Is their opinion? Is it sort of player speak, or it, are they really seeing that? Or is it, are they being? You think they're being honest based on what you're saying, Tommy? What do you think? Uh, I think it's some of both. I think when you run for a hundred, I think Anto- Antonio Williams. Um, is that type of guy that's going to credit the guys in front of him? Elliot's the same way, I think. But I think they did some good things and provided those opportunities. Uh, now, can they be better? Absolutely. But I think uh, you got to talk up the guys in front. And we'll have Michael, Mike Ingersoll on the podcast in a couple of days. And, you know, those offensive linemen, they need that loving and they need that uh, attention. And I think Elliot and Williams get that. Um, Jason, I'll defer to you on the rest. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, though, that if you're going to have a 300-yard passer, a 100-yard rusher, whoever you're playing against, that the line uh, played better than acceptable. They, they they sort of look good against the Pitt Panthers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what, what Buck said about it being a little bit of both uh, is, is where I would fall in as well. Um, the thing is, something can be player speak or coach speak and still be true. Uh, you know, you're, you, you, you feel obligated as a skilled position player to make sure that you don't leave those guys out. You want to make sure that you, that you mention them. That's part of the part of your job. But at the same point, you know, it's, it's right. <laughs> Elliot had a lot of time to throw against a team that likes to bring, uh, bring pressure. And there were some significant holes all game. So, whether whether that's player speak or not, it's it it was right, and I think I think it was I think it's both. I mean, they they felt obligated to say it because you're supposed to say it, but they're also true. It's also true. All right, I'm on moving on moving this podcast all along. Since we got a short week, we'll have a shorter podcast than normal um, here on Sunday evening, recording Sunday evenings. But Jason, I'm gonna flip the order. Let me start with you a little bit. And this is why I said early in the podcast that Pittsburgh started doing Pittsburgh things. I, I think at some point, it may have been the entire first half, they were running for 12.2 yards a clip. And in the second half, they had nine carries or nine rushes for 31 yards. Now, a couple things. I think Carolina started defending it better, but Pittsburgh just abandoned it. Uh, your thoughts there on the performance specifically of the front seven for North Carolina. I think Holcomb had a dozen tackles or more. Uh, but they – what went right for North Carolina? What did Pittsburgh do differently other than just abandoning the running game? Uh, but talk about the front seven for Carolina. I thought I thought Carolina started winning more at the defensive tackle spots uh, and, and basically was able to control inside out. And, and, you know, Pitt wants to make you have to defend that perimeter – and they did that in the first half with some of those uh, little uh, forward tosses, which technically count as passes and all sorts of little, little end arounds and jet sweeps and all that. They make you have to defend that edge, but you still have to defend them inside out. It's like defending Georgia tech in a lot of ways. And uh, I thought Jalen Dalton in particular came on and flashed uh, with some, some penetration 
at different points. Uh, Strobridge before he uh, went out of the game, uh, I thought, you know, again, created some penetration. Those defensive tackles were able to to do their thing. And then ultimately, as the game wore on, you know, you get more used to the speed at which they're doing that stuff and you're able to hold up a little bit better on the edge. And I thought uh, the outside backers later in the game were able to control the uh, the edge a lot better. Uh, whereas in the first half, there were a few where it was infuriating to watch because it's like, listen, you know that guy's coming out or on like the diamond stuff where they're where they're coming out with the quarterback on basically a little quarterback sweep off of off a of play action. And it's like, you know, you know, that's their tendency. You know, that guy's coming out there and you can't get flanked. But they did. Second half, they were more disciplined with their angles on the edge and they were trusting that interior to hold up. And I thought they, they were able to do both a lot better in the second half. Buck, your take there. I love Jason's mention of the D tackles. I mean, you're effective there. You blow up a lot of offenses, but I just thought Carolina, something clicked. And I know Holcomb said post game, they didn't make any adjustments. They just started doing their jobs. Maybe winning those battles inside was what it was, but Buck, that's, you know, that third quarter for Carolina, I think you met referenced in your column, your day after column that that's not you don't see that much from a Larry Fedora offense, uh, Larry Fedora defense, if at all, over the past few seasons. Yeah, that's absolutely right, and it was a little bit different vibe. Um, you know, the the Pitt UNC games now almost there's a blueprint for them, and uh, the typical blueprint is that somehow or another uh, Pitt gets a gets a lead maybe well into the at least by the start of the fourth quarter and North Carolina comes back and wins but uh, in that third quarter offensively and defensively they just put their foot on the neck of Pittsburgh and you can kind of count on one hand uh, the number of times where both sides of the ball in a just take one quarter, take one quarter of uh, UNC football over the last, you know, seven years and where both sides of the ball are just playing lights out. And aside from the opening drive of the third quarter, um, the, the rest of the third quarter was just both sides of the ball were just playing superly, you know, just super good football. And uh, to see a complete team effort like that um, is something that is not an everyday occurrence uh, with UNC football. So, yeah, that was very, very encouraging. And, um, you know, even though I had you behind me tapping me on the shoulder saying that, oh, they just missed that play. There's five plays in a game that, you know, change the course <laughs> of a game, and that could be one of them. And blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you, the, the the glass half empty was in full force uh, uh, on Saturday behind me. But I think maybe my maybe over-optimistic outlook and Tommy's half-negative look uh, <laughs> combined uh, for some good juju for uh, North Carolina in that third quarter. You need to remember I sit behind you, and it's a long way down from that top level. <laughs> And I don't think, you know, I almost did it um, involuntarily because of the heat. Uh, you will do it voluntarily next time with a boot 
All right, boys, you want a simple, easy, better way to travel to UNC football and basketball games? Now's your chance. Hills Travels partnered with Inside Carolina to provide simple and easy travel for select UNC away games. Chuck Joyce, the president of Away to Go Travel, is a Greensboro native and a diehard Carolina fan, and he wanted to find an easier, better way, and more efficient way for Carolina fans to get to away games. So right now, HillsTravel.com is selling packages to get you to the Virginia game in Charlottesville on October 27th. This is a one-day bus trip from Chapel Hill. They pick you up. They take you to the stadium and they bring you home. All you have to do is show up, cheer for the Tar Heels, and ride the bus. Leaves should be changing. Should be a great chance to check out a great town and be there for Carolina and Virginia, the oldest rivalry in the South. Make the process easy. Ride with other diehard UNC fans, and don't worry about parking or having to drive. It is a win-win situation. Visit HillsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060. There's no better way to spend a holiday than watching the Tar Heels play basketball. In the desert, no less. In Las Vegas, even better. Heels Travel is offering a package that includes round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip ground transportation from the airport to the hotel, and three nights at the Aria Resort and Casino in Vegas. No better time spent in Vegas to see the Tar Heels. Visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060. Support Chuck Joyce and Away to Go Travel and help them support the IC podcast. Let's wrap the show, talk about this. Uh, Discipline. Heard that word earlier in this podcast. Jason, I saw far more discipline out there on the field across the board for North Carolina. Uh, You said early in the season, uh, it's a point. It's not a line. So the Pittsburgh is a point thus far, but it's got to be uh, encouraging for North Carolina, at least, and it certainly is from the outside looking in, that, to see a team that plays, didn't do any dumb stuff, basically. Uh, your thoughts there? Well, <laughs> it, I, I, I don't even know where to start with this because, like you said, it is a point, and we don't have a trend yet. Uh, but coming out of out of a little bit of, a little bit more preparation time uh, after the last game was was uh, was uh, canceled, maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe they ate a better pregame meal. I mean, then there's also the you know starting better and just playing with confidence. And it's amazing what playing with confidence will do for you at times in terms of discipline and trusting and buying into what you're supposed to be doing. So. You know, and you see this like with pre-snap penalties all the time where guys, when they start really trying too hard or you get a, a an offensive tackle who feels like he can't quite block the guy across from him, you'll see him false start then. That stuff's all tied together, but who knows what it was psychologically with this team suddenly looking like they were, you know, a, a disciplined bunch after what we'd seen the first couple of weeks and uh, you know, again, you hope that that carries on, but right now it's a point we'll, we'll evaluate if, if, if we see that, that carry on this next week, then we can evaluate what, what might be causing that trend. Buck, I'll give you the opportunity to close it. Uh, one thought looking ahead from this game to Miami short week, Miami is Thursday night. So four days from here. So these points we're putting up that we just talked about could, uh, trend down or they could continue to trend up uh your thoughts close the show 
Well, uh, before I get there, I'm going to talk about the penalty uh, situation. Now, 2015 was sort of a an outlier year for UNC football in general, but against Pittsburgh at their stadium in 2015, UNC had three penalties for 15 yards. The week before, they had 13 penalties for 135 yards. So, uh, and, and for whatever reason, and I don't know why it is, but you can look at North Carolina's penalty situation going back to when Pitt came into the conference. And for whatever reason, they just don't seem to get penalized as much against Pittsburgh as they do against other teams. I saw somebody, I, I on, the message board, somebody on the message board or somewhere said that Narduzzi's such a jerk that Carolina doesn't get screwed as much when they play Pittsburgh. But anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder if that plays into it, and that's a, a good question for a future podcast, but um, the more you, uh, as Tommy put it yesterday or Saturday, uh, the more you uh, staff dog cusses a, a uh, officiating crew, maybe they they don't get the result they're looking for. You know? <laughs> maybe that's an adverse... Too. Uh, maybe that's an adverse uh, reaction you get when you start dog cussing a uh, officiating crew. So maybe that plays into it. But uh, as for Miami and the short week, and, you know, North Carolina and Miami have a history of playing some really strange football games. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked maybe a million times about the 04 game, but there's been many strange games. Uh, in the, in this series, I remember um, one down in Miami where you know Miami was driving for the you know the final score. This might have been when uh, Cam Sexton ended up starting against uh, Miami because TJ was hurt and uh, Cam really hadn't done much uh, prior to the game and. And all of a sudden, he started playing really well, and they got a lead, and Miami's leading. And when, the, when they took the lead, and Miami's driving on the final drive, and North Carolina intercepted the ball in the end zone uh, for what looked like a, a clear Miami was going to win hands down, and then North Carolina uh, pulled off the interception in the end zone. So, I mean, they have this; these two teams have a history of of playing games that you don't necessarily expect. And even going back to last year, that was when Nathan Elliott had to, to you know, he, he was playing at that point in the season. And, uh, you know, he didn't have the greatest game ever uh, by UNC quarterback uh, by any stretch. Um, he had to come into the game and uh, you know, play against Miami which had a really good defense and he threw some interceptions, no question. Um, and, and, but the team played hard for him. And I think that that was sort of the beginning of uh, Nathan Elliott can really play, you know, uh, he played briefly in the Virginia tech game, but he came in and, and played at Miami. Didn't have a great game by any stretch, but, you could see a spark. You could see a, the offense have a pulse, and then that 
played out into their first conference run the next week uh, against again Pittsburgh. So um, the the thing about this Miami game is it's it's a strange game. Um, you you can't always predict um, how these two teams are going to play against each other and and how it's going to play out. Obviously, you got to make Miami a huge favorite in this game. Their defense is playing pretty much lights out. Uh, you know, the, no doubt North Carolina's going to be a huge underdog in this game. But again, these games don't always play out the way you think they're going to. Good stuff, Buck. Look forward to checking out Miami, North Carolina on Thursday night. Jason, I hope I'll get a chance to talk to you before that one again for the preview. But guys, appreciate you joining me this evening. Always fun. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.